Email six is kind of interesting. You could make a living off that one email. If you had nothing and all you did was go to people who have an email database and put that one email in there, you could actually make a living off the commission that comes additionally from that email on what the business would have got without that email. That is the million dollar email, really. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so that's the money shot. Every single person gets a personalized video. Thank you for requesting this. Here's your information. You know, for, for us, that's been such a successful strategy and it's not scalable, but not everything needs to be scalable. If you've already been doing content and you don't have the seven emails, I'd encourage you to look back through your broadcast stats and see which emails got good engagement or which ones are case studies because those ones would be good candidates to put back into the machine. Someone I know who's good at emails, they said, if you want to make more sales, just send more emails. Like if you go from seven to 14 or 14 to 28 emails, you will make more sales. I mean, I'm not sure if I 100% agree with that, actually. This is James Schramko. James Schramko here. Welcome back to my podcast. This is episode 1046. We're calling this million dollar emails, of course. When you think of emails, I think of database. Of course, instantly, Will Wang springs to mind. Hello, Will. Good to see you today. Hey, James. It's so awesome to be back again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, we're, we're just on a continual mission to bring good marketing knowledge out to the public. Today we're talking about warm emails and nurture emails because we've had you on previous episodes talking about cold emails, even from scratch compiling a database to send out cold emails. And we've spoken about that on a number of occasions. But I'm curious about what do we send people who are on our database? Yeah, it's a really interesting topic. And I think it follows on really well from our last conversation around cold emailing to build a database. Because obviously, it's great to get people on the email list. It's great to get people on your newsletter. But the thing is, you can't take those to the bank, right? You can't rock up to the bank and go, I've got a newsletter of a thousand subscribers. Can I pay my mortgage with this? So today, I think we're going to look at how we're going to get people to take action, to reach out, to book in a call, and to ultimately buy a product or a service from us. Cool. I'm really interested in this. I mean, this is sort of more my realm where I have an email database. I have talked a fair bit in the past about my own points of view. Uh, I think we've covered topics like, do we pre-do emails? Do we send out fresh emails? I'm really curious to see how this is going to evolve and what sort of emails do we have set up in the system already and what would be our strategy overall? So how do you want to start this off? Yeah, I think let's start with looking at what happens before someone comes onto the email. Before we even think about the first email that we send, And you made a really good point because you've been putting out some really good content actually about emails. And I think that's part of the inspiration for this episode. I'm just looking at some of the content you've done, but we'll share from our side what I'm seeing in terms of our clients and what's working. But I think um, before we even put pen to paper or start typing a single word, the main thing to look at is the strategy behind it, right? Like what are we actually trying to do here? And I think that's where a lot of people get lost in terms of, you know, what should we say or how should we say it without even thinking about, well, why are we even trying to do this? And so for me, it ultimately starts with like, why has someone actually joined your email list? Why has someone given you the name in the email? And if you start from there and work backwards to what you want, whether that's a phone call or a purchase, if you can join those two dots together, that's exactly where you want emails to go. Now, as an example, the reason why we start with lead magnet and thinking about lead magnet is because that creates a conversation initially. And we've got to be very, very specific in terms of what we put out to the market. Because if someone opts in for a lead magnet that's kind of got nothing to do with what you're trying to tell them about or talk about, 
doesn't matter how good your email is, doesn't matter how good your copy is, it's just not going to work. So we typically start there and make sure that we've got the right people coming into our list for the right reasons. So when you're thinking about your clients, what use cases have you seen? Like why are they generally building that database? Is it so they can move them onto a phone call? Is it so they can sell via email? Is it something else? Yeah, it's a mixture of the two. So a lot of our clients uh, deal with B2B deals. So it's not something that they would email and just people would just go and buy like a Black Friday widget or something like that. It's long-term relationships, long-term partnerships. So generally, I'd say 80% of the time, our clients want someone onto a phone call or a demo. So that's kind of the main thing that we work with. There are times where, yes, we will sell off the back of uh, a nurture email or a campaign, but most of the time it's generally to get the phone call. Cool. So I imagine for high ticket coaches, that would be the same, even if they're not a big B2B, they're a smaller operation. If they're a, a service provider, whether they're doing um, websites or traffic campaigns or anything like that, they probably want to have a telephone call at some point in there as well. So this would be really relevant. Yeah. Generally, we find that $1,000 is kind of the cutoff mark, mm-hmm. whereby if it's anything over $1,000, people tend to want to either message or talk to your email with you or even speak to you over Zoom, for example, to get some certainty about the product, get some trust built up in there. But anything under a thousand, if you've got a really, really good copy, you can sell it, you know, whether it's a product or service, it can be done, but anything over a thousand gets a little bit harder. So that's kind of why most of my clients, you know, they we play with higher ticket offers, anything from five thousand onwards. So generally it's a phone call. Some people have a lead magnet and then on the page where you get the lead magnet, there's a booking form. Does that actually work? Generally not. So there's going to be a little bit more trust before someone just gets a lead magnet. And I'll give you an example of this. Mm -hmm. There's so much testing that goes into lead magnet to actually getting a phone call, right? And um, it all starts from like, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to solve? So for example, there's a a coaching program that I'm a coach of. And one of the uh, business owners in the coaching program is trying to sell a hypnotherapy certification. And her lead magnet was how to leave your job. And so that is so far apart. Like, you know, there are so many different ways to leave your job. There are so many different functionalities. You can go into e-commerce, you can go into affiliate marketing. Why would you choose to become a certified hypnotherapist? And so that was kind of missing the mark in terms of language there. So from that point, you know, just presenting a lead magnet and offering a phone call was just never going to cut it in terms of the amount of trust or the no like and trust factor, I call it, to get them onto a phone call. So they're like, well, we'll talk about what? Like I haven't even read the thing yet. Yeah, exactly. So in that case, what we would have done is actually get more narrow, right? You would have had to look at people who are already thinking about getting into the field or have some kind of other complementary certification and go put the lead magnet in front of them. And then from that point on, there would be more nurture emails, more content going out, more videos to try and encourage someone to just take a leap because there's actually a lot of factors and I'll run through maybe you know five or six of them that actually stops people from getting or taking action. And those are a key to tackle before we even think about you know what emails that we want to send out. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Sure. So um, I've got a list here. I'm going to refer to the list a little bit because you know, in some different um, areas too, but generally, if you think about you know, someone who's just opting for a lead magnet, Yes, they're a lead. Yes, they've put their hand up and said, hey, I want some kind of solution to a problem that I think you can help me solve, but we're not quite there yet because there's a lot of different things in the way of someone taking that to actually taking the next step, whether that's a phone call or buying something. Now, the first thing that we're looking at, right, is we're fighting for attention. 
So just because somebody downloads a lead magnet, opts in for a lead magnet, doesn't mean they're going to go through and do it. Especially if it's like a 50-page ebook or anything like people just don't have the time or they don't have the patience to sit through it and just go through the, you know, that content. So it's got to be short and snappy. It's got to give them a solution and really hook them in fast. So the first thing we're fighting against is actually all the other distractions that are going on in their lives. Okay. And it makes sense. I mean, I give away my book, but I wouldn't expect someone to read the book straight away as soon as they get the email. I know there's going to be some steps in between that and the next call to action. And I think, um, well, th- that being said, actually, I think your book's actually pretty amazing. So when people, you know, read it and they get the first chapter, it kind of builds a dream for them and builds a story for them. So I think that even in that regard, even with how amazing your book is, and I've read it, I've got it on my shelf here as one of my, you know, all-time favorite books. Um, I can see it there. Yeah, it's right behind my head. you got the OG version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I've got the proper OG version. But um, even then, it's like you still have to encourage them a little bit. Because the next thing that we're fighting against, besides from you know distractions and attention, is actually the lack of trust initially. Mm. And people are just coming from the cold. We've either cold emailed them about the lead magnet or they've seen it from an ad or some kind of content. They still don't really know us well at all. So the next thing we're trying to fight against with these emails is just to build a bit of a trust factor. Like, here's why you should listen to us. Here's why... If you take action on what we've said, you're going to get results. And people don't quite have the trust built in just yet. So that's the second part that we're fighting against. Just in there, what about the people who say they don't get it, right? One of my emails that I send is, thanks for grabbing the book. Did you receive it? Occasionally, people reply back saying no. Mm. When we look in our system, we can see that it was sent. Yeah. Often, we'll see that it was opened, (laughs) which is crazy. But- I just reply back and say, we're going to send it again. So please check your junk folder. And we send it again. But the reason I ask people that email, if they got it, it's so that they reply back because I want to make sure they got it. Yep. If they opted in for it and never got it, then I would never even know that they're sitting there thinking, well, the trust is not very high right now mm. if they've opted in and didn't, didn't even get it. If they've opted in and I asked them if they got it and they said yes, then at least they know that I care enough to check that they got it. But also when they reply back, it's now going to promote that email into the part of their inbox that allows that email to flow in from now on from me because they've trained their email system to say, well, we want to receive this sort of email. That's, um, I mean, that's, that's such a strong point. And it's actually my first two emails of any automated nurture sequence is actually very similar to that, just confirming that they've got what they were asked for. I'm glad you said that because that's like, we have to talk about what emails to send. So, mm. so far we've got thinking about why people are opting in. Like what are they opting in for? We're mm. thinking about where we want them to end up eventually. We're going to build a bridge towards that. If it's too wide or on the outer ring of a target board and we're trying to sell a bullseye, there's a lot of work to be done to move them there. So mm. if we could make the lead magnet or the opt-in closer to the bullseye, that would be good, yep. which is a lesson I've learned actually with workless make more is very on the outer ring of a target. (laughs) Hmm. Um, Secondly, the actual emails we want to start sending are to clear that whitelist to confirm they got it and to start that relationship in a back and forth situation. How do companies handle that? And do they still insist on having a no reply at email? Like I'm sure some of your enterprise clients are like, well, we can't man that email. Yeah, that's actually some, the worst thing you can do is have an email where you send stuff out to people and just say, don't come back to me. I don't care what you have to say. Like, I'm not here to read your emails. Like, that's the worst thing you can do. 
To me, it's crazy. They spend a fortune on running ads to get people to send them an email and then they say, well, we're just going to ignore you. <laughs> uh, like It's infuriatingly insane. <laughs> Why not have a human respond? I know there's all sorts of people talking about AI, email chatbots and stuff. At the moment, we're in this I am hype of people having agents. They can sit back and forward like 30 emails and that's not even a human and it does it in a reasonable fashion apparently. And I'm sure we're getting there. But I don't mind the old human thing. In fact, someone commented on my socials yesterday. They like that I put in my PS, I reply to emails because it's still rare, apparently. Yeah. I mean, it, it just makes no sense because and most of the time when it comes to all the stuff that we're going up against, and I'll finish the list in just a second, but the trust factor, like how do you actually build trust? We have conversations and it doesn't have to be a phone conversation. It can very well be an email conversation. And in fact, that's the stuff that we're seeing to work really, really well for clients at the moment is not even pushing for the phone call initially and just having a reply and a, and a thread of conversations going through on emails. It just boggles my mind the amount of people that discount that, right? Because it seems like more work. They want to automate that. But that's kind of where the magic happens. I mean, that's where you get to learn about your clients, your future clients, and what they're thinking about, their um, hopes and dreams in some cases, you know, their frustrations. That's where you actually get the gold to fill your uh, like marketing going forward. And yet people are trying to automate that a little bit too quickly, I think. So yeah, definitely in massive agreement with you there. Like it just makes no sense to try and close that part off. I think that's such an important point. The beginner tries to automate everything from the beginning mm. because they think that's advanced. The advanced person will do most things manually, even if it doesn't scale, to get that amazing feedback. And they may or may not automate that later. In my case, I've got some behavioral triggers. I've got some fairly established responses in my mind, but I'm still manually responding to emails because for me, that's the modality where I'm going to be able to convert sales, but also learn the most about what's going on with the, the response to my podcast, the feedback from my book, et cetera. It's really valuable for me mm. as a content creator to know what my audience is thinking and talking about. Exactly. And it just makes your, your audience feel so, so valued. So for example, most of the leads that we get from like podcasts or people just reaching out to us, I'll even record them a personalized video. Like every single person gets a personalized video. It's not AI. I say the name. Thank you for requesting this. Here's your information. And that just, you know, for, for us, that's been such a successful strategy. And it's not scalable, but like it doesn't need, not everything needs to be scalable. And, you know, one, one of the funny stories I had was I was talking to one of um, our mutual friends, Lloyd, just last week about automation. And he was looking at automating a part of his lead generation. And one of the things I said to him was like, if you automate too early and you automate the wrong bits, it's like you're putting gas into a bin fire. You're just going to burn your entire house down. You don't even know what parts work and what parts don't. So what if you automated and accelerated the parts that don't work? What's that going to do to your business? How much damage would you actually do? So that's a really key point. It's uh, same as some people who are outsourcing their frontline activities when you know it's not them. Like I might know someone really, really well, and then I send them a message on Instagram in response to one of their posts, mm. and the next thing you know, I'm getting lined up for some sales call. <laughs> I'm like, clearly that's they don't recognize me. They don't know. Mm. And so I'm not actually dealing with them. And it just, in terms of trust or integrity or authenticity, it just goes, it is a dumpster fire. It's like, okay, I can see what's going on here and I don't like it. Mm. 
Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, getting back to the point about trust, I mean, that's especially in, um, you know, times, and I think we're in those times now where there's a lot more uncertainty in the market. There's a lot more fear, right? Like the, the media outlets are going on about recessions and things like that. The way you counter that and actually get your leads and your clients to actually do more, you know, work with you is to build the trust. So at times like this, it's actually more important to build the trust versus destroy it with, you know, just some automation just because you get lazy with one or two things. Like lead generation is such an important part of your business. And so many businesses we talk to is the part that's missing, but it's the part that they're looking to shortcut. And yeah, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So what else is on your list? Yep. So we've had so far, you know, the list of things that we're up against. One is attention and uh, distractions. Second is lack of trust. The third is doubt. So especially in a lot of sophisticated markets where people have seen a lot of offers, had a lot of dealings with other competitors potentially and been burnt a few times, there's a lot of doubt, right? It kind of works hand in hand with trust. So there's a lot of doubt that you can do what you say you can do. So that's where a lot of the social proof comes through. And we'll cover that in some of the emails that we go through. But doubt is the next thing that we're looking at, right? How do we dispel doubt to the point where they, they've just got enough doubt dealt with that they can take the next action. Now, the fourth bit is comfort. So action versus inaction. And most of the time, uh, you know, when we think about competitors, the biggest competitor we've got, especially if you're a service business, isn't actually another company. It's actually your lead or your prospect not taking action and just being comfortable in where they are. So that is the fourth thing that we've got to get them across, right? What's the cost of comfort? And then the fifth one here is um, kind of fifth and sixth kind of work together, but perception and the fear of failure. So what happens if they fail? What do they have to risk? And what do people think of them if they know they tried this and they failed? So perception and the fear of failure kind of goes hand in hand. Um, it can be one or two points. And so is that the end of the list? It is, yeah. So questions that come up in in my mind. Are you sending an email to counter each one of these or emails? How often do you send the emails? Are they long or short? Are they dealing with the thing in the email? Do you send them to a page somewhere else? For example, if you have a video. Uh, So logistical questions, I guess you'd call that. Yeah. So maybe um, to answer that, why don't we actually go through um, a plan that I've got and, and you know, I'll even put through an email sequence where we're looking at for ourselves and a plan of lead generation to go through that. And then I can share also like templates and checklists with everybody listening if they want after as well. But, you know, I'll look at our own lead generation and our own path at the moment to give examples I can really solidly talk about. So um, our plan at the moment is to go from, you know, to open things up and to help smaller businesses during difficult times to maximize the leads and to get more leads coming through. And so the way that we're going to do that is we're going to shift the business a little bit and look at actually releasing a course or a program where we work hand in hand with them to do that, right? To build a lead generation engine in their business. So for us, the lead magnet we're looking at is super, super specific. It's actually going to be either a checklist, a template, or some videos that addresses some of the key points or key pain points around lead generation. While we're on that, what did you have to choose from for lead magnets? You said checklists templates. Yep. What else could we choose from? I know that, that there are things like calculators, software, yep. free courses, books. Yes. Yeah, so we're tossing, we're testing. I shouldn't say we're tossing things out. We're testing a lot. We're basically testing all the time. So the ones that we're testing for ourselves, is I'm testing a lead generation checklist. So here's everything you need to run a B2B lead generation outreach campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd be, we'll be testing that against just a, a 10 minute video, walking through a process, showing a result that we got running a legion campaign for ourselves. So those are two things we're testing. We can also test a quiz, like where 
are you losing leads or what part of your business are you um, have you got a leaky bucket in that's costing you conversions? So you know, quiz, you've got checklist, you've got a video. We were also thinking about releasing part of our course for free as in just the first module. That's a trial that you can do as well. And there's other quizzes and calculators in different client businesses that we've seen that's worked really, really well. For example, how much can you save on X part of your business? And I've also seen consumer reports, mm. white papers, ebooks. Yeah. There's a few different types. So the, the type, would it depend on the type of consumer that you have or would it just be a hypothesis that you would give it a run and then try other things against it to try and beat it? Yeah, we'd, uh, I look at it as a very much a split testing kind of play because um, what I ultimately want to know is which lead magnet actually produces the most clients. Yeah. And so a lot of people might go out and they might run ads, for example, to um, the cold email templates we've got. And I know that the cold email templates, if we put them out to market, we get a really good reception. Yeah. But I don't know if they produce as many good phone calls as a video walking through a lead generation process that we have. So um, I've got theories in my mind. I've got hypotheses about which lead magnet is going to work the best in terms of what scenario, but it is ultimately down to testing and looking at what the numbers actually come back with. It's such an important one. It's not about the conversion rate for the opt-in. It's about the sales rate. I learned that lesson when I was doing a free audit for my SEO business, and then I charged $20. We had the exact same number of eventual buyers with the $20 one, but we did about a fifth less free audits. So we saved a lot of team time that we could redeploy into delivering service for the clients that we got. And it was it was a really important one. So maybe the initial opt-in percentage will be lower on a particular type of lead magnet, but it's far more relevant and generates you an actual buyer for the ones who do opt-in. And that's why it's important to keep an eye on the numbers whenever you're setting this sort of stuff up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it depends across different businesses too. I mean, we've got a client who, um, let's just say they're in the legal industry. And um, with this client, we had a checklist going out to a particular niche that they serve that had a legal change or a federal government regulatory change. And so the checklist worked really well because it was very, very specific, uh, specific for that industry, for the situation, for the actions they had to take. So it does differ across businesses. What might work well for us might not work well for our clients and vice versa. And then, you know, even if you take a category like a checklist or software, Mm. it's going to be wildly different on what type of checklist you have. Like the one you just mentioned is a bullseye or is a vague general checklist. Same with the book. The book title might be general. It might be highly specific. So there'll be things to test within each part of that. So back to your case study, you're choosing a particular lead magnet. Mm. Your goal is to take people from um, where they're at now to solving their problem for them with your training, working with them. What emails do you send? So from when they opt in? Yep. So um, at the moment, there's an order. We're working on an automated seven email sequence. Mm -hmm. The first email is actually pretty straightforward. It's, hey, here's the video. Here's the walkthrough. Go ahead and watch it. Let me know what you think. Mm-hmm. And that pushes them onto what's called a VSL page or a video sales letter page. And it's literally just giving them best information we can, giving them high value information and helping them on the journey. And at the bottom of that page, if they're ready for it, not saying everybody is, but if they're ready for it, we've got an option for them to book in a phone call and to actually get the help implementing into their business. So that's the very first image just to give what we actually promised. And do you have any behavioral based or tagging type things happening in terms of video view watch? 
Yeah, we do. So we've got uh, the audiences building for retargeting potentially on the video itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also got email automation. So we know if someone's opened the email, we know if someone's clicked on it, and we know if they've actually booked or hit the next page. So depending on how complicated you want to get, we're going pretty simple for now, but we will build this out as we go. So at one point, we'll get to the point where we know that if someone's clicked on the link to book um, for a phone call, but they haven't booked for a phone call yet, there might be an issue with time. So we might send them an automated email and say, hey, uh, was it an issue of time? Could you not find anything in my calendar? Let me know if you want us to work out something manually. Gotcha. So yeah, you, you can definitely do, you know, get as complicated as you want. But my uh, tip is to start from the very basics. You have a good sort of foundation. You can always add automations and, you know, more complicated stuff later on. And they might already be there. So for in my case, if someone hits my sales cart page but doesn't buy and I know their email, then I'm just going to do a very simple follow-up like Amazon does. Yeah. Hey, here's that page again. It's like the, the super subtle one. Mm. If you go to Amazon, look at any, I don't know, electrical equipment, you know, microphones or something yeah. and don't buy it, you'll probably see that turn up a week later. Hey, here's that microphone, you know, and it's, it's, mm. it recognized that you were there but didn't purchase. So that's just the gentle reminder one. And so that might already be in place and any of these lead magnet or front ends that you put if they end up steering people to that page, that's when the behavioral tag will be fired. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So th- that's the very first email. Uh, again, pretty straightforward to put together. You don't need to be a copywriting genius to put together a really good email. In that email though, one thing that I do like to do is try to engage in conversation. And I might just ask something simple like, hey, what is the biggest challenge you've got when it comes to lead generation at the moment? And I'll just leave it open-ended and I'll read and respond to every single reply. Gotcha. So yeah, that's the first one. Second email is actually very similar to the one that you spoke about where you just check in with them and say, hey, did you get the email? Did you get the video? Have you had a chance to go through it yet? Let me know what you think. Let me know what challenges you've got. Again, just to make sure that we're giving them the value. And again, like some people come back and say, oh, I haven't actually seen it or I haven't watched it yet. And it prompts them to actually go and take action or it just gives them a chance to open up a conversation. They might say, actually, I did watch it. I had a question about this. What do you guys want to do when it comes to X? But it just opens up a really good conversation with a leader or a prospect that you can nurture through. I found with that one, that was sort of the indicator to us that, hey, you know, we should go and check our SPF records, our DMARC Mm. category, our send from email address. All of these reputation things uh, will make a difference to the deliverability of that email from a technical standpoint. Because when we're talking about cold emails, I know sometimes you're compiling a database and using a third-party email system to send them. Mm. Now we're in our ecosystem we have to really worry about the sender reputation and, and getting all of those things. There are sites you can go and check these things and you can also get the help from a webmaster type person to make sure that technically your emails are ready to be received. Yeah, that, that, that's super important. It's actually um, just as important in cold as it is with uh, you know, warm nurture emails. But the thing is like you've spent all this time and effort making sure your cold emails are good, making sure they're getting into inboxes and getting replies. Why not do the same for the warm emails? It just makes no sense to drop the ball when, when they're ready yeah. to go, right? When they're ready to be nurtured. It's, I know it's just an obvious one, but if you're missing deliverability mm. by 10%, it's, I mean, it could literally mean you make 10% less. On a million-dollar revenue business, that's $100,000. It's really worth getting those things tuned as much as you can. And, and if you find that you're landing in people's junk folder, it's time to get some help with that. Yeah. And look, it's actually not hard to do. And it probably costs you a couple of hundred dollars or, you know, maybe a little bit more off Upwork, for example, to get an email expert to come in and help you with that. Perfect. 
Great. So um, that's the second email. Again, you know, very much just a conversation started, just a check-in kind of email. And the third, fourth, and fifth email are kind of where we start addressing a lot of the, the, the points, right, the challenges that we spoke about. So in the next three emails, I tend to overload them with case studies and stories. So case studies are great because it helps to show, hey, here's someone who might have been in your position, didn't really know us, had some doubts and rejections. So, you know, I address a lot of the negatives actually, and I bring it, you know, I proactively address the objections in these emails, but I use the story to transition to what's happened, right? What the business looks like now, looks like now what the lead flow actually looks like, and even screenshots of leads coming through, the type of leads, the companies who are responding. So all of that stuff that I can give people to build the know, like, and trust factor and to help them get over the self-doubt. Now, within the next three emails, I'll also tell a bit of a story, right? I, one of my favorite words in terms of copy is imagine. And I use that quite a bit in like, imagine what happens in your business if you went from not having leads or stressing about making profit and revenue to having more leads than you can handle. Obviously, you've got to use it very subtly. This isn't an episode about copy. It kind of is, but it kind of isn't you know, deep dive. But you don't want to overuse it because it loses power. But then you can really bring a story and move someone from point A to point B and have them feel the change within their bodies and, and their minds about what can happen if they have the solution that you're offering to them. Nice. Yep. So that's email three, four, and five. Um, email three is, you know, more or less a case study. Email four is a story. Email five could be another useful tip wrapped in a case study. Just keep educating and keep giving them a little bit more value. Does each one have a call to action? Uh, yes. At this point, you know, they've gone through, hopefully, your lead magnet. It doesn't have to be massive call to action. It doesn't have to be, you know, this blinking red button. It can just be as subtle as a PS. I mean, you can say something like PS. If you want some help in, in your business around this, if you want some help in your life around this, let me know and um, we can see if we're the right fit, for example. Very subtle. And what do they do? Do they hit reply or do they click on a link to make a booking or what? Uh, well, with the emails that we're writing, it's actually just hit reply. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people in, in our market especially, they <laughs> understand that, hey, if I'm going on to a call, sometimes it can be a sales call. It's almost always a sales call. Let's face it. It's a strategy call is just code for sales call. I'm going to be pitched. Mm. There's one guy I heard of. He sells a really high ticket program, tens of thousands of dollars. And he actually jokes about this, but it's true. The coaches that he get that he sells are just salespeople for the next program. It's just like, it's despicable. Mm. But I think these are the people who ruin it. They ruin the industry. It's that they're the people who get the federal regulators riled up, and um, yeah. and they deserve to get caught and busted for this sort of stuff because it's so disingenuous. Yeah, it's just I think it tarnishes the entire industry, and, and and you're right. It just makes no sense to sell an inadequate or crap solution to people who are desperate for something in life, and you know take take the last last few dollars just so you can like. There's just so much better ways to make money. Another one I saw posted uh, their sales, his sales methodology. Mm. He said, the sales is very easy. You ask the person what they need. And when they tell you, you tell them your program covers that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's just the thing that they don't think about is, you know, the, the customer experience. And I think the companies that are around for longest, like they try to do the best for the customers. And these guys are, I think, just the exact opposite, right? It's just, it's pretty disgusting, actually. Yeah, it's just so self-interested and shallow and, I mean, it's incredulous really that they could treat other humans like that. So 
hopefully the the look and feel and tone of all of the emails that go through and the the calls to action have massive credibility and then you will stand out mm. yeah and, and i think just the last point on that is um you know i think a little while ago i actually paid ten thousand dollars us for a course on how to do this kind of stuff and the way that they were selling is it's so emotional based and I get it. There's got to be some emotion in, in the cell, right? Because emotions what take gets people to take action and to push out of their comfort zone. So there's got to be a little bit of that. But when you get to the point where you're selling and you're making people cry on the phone or you know feel like they're just absolutely their life's not going to move forward if they don't go with you, like that's just really unnecessary. So when you're telling the stories, when you're going through and using all of these elements and copy elements, I just be a little bit respectful as well. You know, I, I find is the best way to do it. Most of my clients I work with for years and I don't want to get, you know, start the relationship by making them feel like rubbish. Like it just makes no sense. It's just trickery, really. It's like those, um, like the people who speak from stage and keep bringing up car crashes and crying and it, it's all manipulation. And look, some manipulation is good. A brain surgeon manipulates a scalpel mm. to do an operation, right? So we need to manipulate our hands to be able to eat. So I get it, but I don't know, there's this whole generation of, insincere, uh, predominantly young guns, uh, I've noticed, who just use all the tricks in the book, the hypnosis, the emotion, the copywriting, etc. But I don't think they're doing it from a place of integrity to help the end consumer. And that's the part that I have an issue with. It's done because it's a trick that can get a result. So I guess what we're not covering here is how to send seven tricky emails that'll deliver a sale every single time. We're talking about logistics and we're talking about a process here that you need to fill in what has integrity for you and what your values uh, will align to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So with all that being said, um, you know, that was kind of emails three, four, five, right? We talked about all of this kind of stuff. Yep. Um, email six is kind of interesting. It's kind of my point where I'm making it more of a direct offer. And I don't do this often in the emails because I just feel like you know, I just want to give them value to the point where they're like, hey, I need these solutions. I've seen enough stories or customer testimonials or case studies. I need this solution in my business, in my life. But email six is kind of an interesting one where um, I think you recently spoke about this as well. Uh, Dean Jackson's nine word email. This is where I think we can start asking for things, right? Like, hey, do you still want help with lead generation? Do you still want bigger clients, bigger deals? This is kind of where they've already got three emails where you've given them extra value, shown them case studies, given them stories. I think it's okay at this point to prompt, hey, did you want actually some one-to-one help with this? Well, I think if you think about it in simple terms, they've raised their hand. This would be Dean Jackson language, right? <laughs> they've raised their hand to indicate an interest. You've warmed them up, but they still haven't purchased. Now, I mean, it, it should be said here, I imagine if they buy, they're removed from this seven email sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Like we didn't mention that, but it's probably important technicality here. <laughs> if someone buys, take them off the sales pitch sequence, right? Mm. Very easy to do in your email autoresponder. Yeah. So they've raised their hand, you've warmed them up, they still haven't bought. Now's the time to ask for that. And this is just because of the inertia, because people maybe got tied up with it. But you're just reminding them of that thing that they wanted in the first place. Mm. Uh, so a Dean Jackson style email is simply, um, were you still interested in, you know, in brackets, you put the, the outcome or the desired result that that person may, you know, that you think they might be interested in, question mark, yeah. hit reply. That's when the rubber meets the road. You really get the answers then. And it's such a powerful email and, and it should be in everybody's toolkit. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that email just continues to work over and over again, right? It's just human psychology in there. It's, it's, it's a beautiful email. No, I think you could actually, you could make a living off that one email. If all you did, if you had nothing and all you did was go to people who have an email database and put that one email in there <laughs> and then support the responses with email sales or telephone sales, you could actually make a living off the commission that comes additionally from that email on what the business would have got without that email. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about million dollar emails, that email in and of itself is, I don't know how much value it's. That is the million dollar email really. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so that's, that's the money shot. Yeah, definitely. Um, so off the back of that, you know, we've already made an ask on this email. We put the nine word email out there. You'll get some responses coming back. Next part of the automation is it's a little bit more subtle, but I also want to, at this point, You've got to think about the journey, right? They've taken your lead magnet. They've got your emails. Hopefully, they've opened it. They've done something with it, but they haven't taken the right action. So at this point, my thinking is, well, maybe it's a couple of these different factors stopping them from taking action, where it's either fear or they just you know, don't want to be uncomfortable. So now we might have to go the other way, where it's like seeding the idea of what's the stick, right? Like what's the carrot, what's the stick? I've given them the carrot so far. Case studies, examples, like the, the bright shining light, you know, the end of the tunnel. Now it's like, well, maybe they, they respond differently. Then maybe they just need a little bit of a push to do that. So then that's where I start coming through. We have some more emails where it's like, hey, is this getting in your way? Like, are you actually thinking that this might not work because of this? And actually calling out some of the, the objections. I find that people respond to fear a lot stronger than they respond to greed. So can you tackle some of the fears that might have at the moment? And that might be another three or five emails. You, then you might deploy the nine word email again. The cycle goes on and on. And then obviously, by the time you know they've got 14 emails and it's been two weeks and I haven't taken any action, I tend to stick them onto just a, a weekly campaign that we send out. So I wanted to ask you about that. While you're sending these emails, the seven emails or 14 emails, mm. you're holding them out from your newsletter? Only for the first two or three. Yep. Um, yep. So when, when they're getting the first two or three emails, we don't send them the newsletter because it, it might be a little bit too soon. But the fourth email is kind of like a nurture email, kind of like a newsletter already. So if you're only sending one a week, it's not too much, I, I, I think, anyway. Even if they get two a day, if they're both valuable emails, people will still read it and still appreciate it. So the first two or three emails we don't, just because I want to give them some time to acclimatize, to you know, send me in, in a response back, whatever it is. But by the fourth email, we push them back to the normal list as well. I think in my world, I've got a kind of a hybrid on this. I've got the lead magnet. I've got a different, few different lead magnets, short courses, books, et cetera, or just subscribe to the newsletter slash, you know, the podcast in my case mm. is the, the way that I deliver ongoing content. Yeah. So people come in from various places. I'm pretty much sending the podcast newsletter twice a week to everybody, but I will check if they got a lead magnet that they got the lead magnet. I will ask for feedback on the lead magnet for specific and then across the board, if people visit the sales page and don't buy, they'll get the follow-up email as we t- talked about, the behavioral-based sequence. So I have a hybrid of lead magnets slash newsletter front end. Mm. The ongoing case studies are more or less delivered from my podcast where I'll bring in my clients to talk about their success. So I think your emails like three, four, five, they're covered more or less in my newsletter. Mm. And in my card abandonment sequence I think there was quite a few emails in there where I, t- I do little surveys, I do a case studies, I do testimonial video, and I have a nine-word email in that. So that's sort of baked into it. But that's only if people 
visit a sales page and don't buy. Mm. So they somehow got to that point and then that kicks in. There are, of course, other emails that I would have to categorize as especially important in a million-dollar email discussion. That would be the one where someone is a recurring subscriber and then they leave. Yeah. The one that you send them an email saying, oh, oops, it looks like your subscription stopped. If that was a mistake, because often mm. it is a credit card change or whatever, mm. please go here to rejoin. But if you really are leaving, please let me know why. Right. Yep. So that one's valuable. Mm. There's also another one that would be good to send out to people who used to be a member or subscriber or a client years ago, and that's like a reactivation email. Yeah. So that would be in the, the suite. Like it's, it's pretty much along the lines of we used to do business, uh, it's been a while, here's what's new mm. type thing, and it'd be great to reconnect. Yeah. So those sort of emails would be good. Someone I know who's good at emails, they said, if you want to make more sales, just send more emails. Like the, <laughs> if you go from seven to 14 or 14 to 28 emails, you will make more sales. But is there a point where someone's not opening, they're not responsive, you just move them off that list? Because uh, I know at the end of my card abandonment sequence, the mm. last thing is we untag them from that sequence and remove them from it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if I 100% agree with that, actually, because if you're sending out emails that aren't great and you send double the amount, again, I, I think you might get more sales initially, but you're going to burn through that list pretty quickly. So there's a lot of context, right? And, and there's a lot of nuance between it. And I think what you do really well, James, is you're like a content machine. You find about such great content that um, you don't even need inertia because your content naturally fills the gap. Well, I know I'm going to be putting out two episodes a week. Like someone be listening to this episode because mm. I sent them an email. Yeah. And it'll be like, hey, I've got on a call with Will Wang and we talked about um, what sort of emails you can send to generate additional sales in your business. So someone will have been on my email list because maybe they got my book or something. Yeah, They'll have received that email. Mm-hmm. It's fresh. And I talk about this, like the difference between pulling out a loaf of bread from your freezer and sticking it in the toast mode, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the thaw mode on your toaster versus going down to the bakery and getting a fresh loaf of bread, and I don't eat gluten, so this is especially uh, <laughs> sad for me to talk about, <laughs> but fresh loaf of white sourdough or something, straight out of the oven. I like the fresh oven-baked mm. content, so because I have that machine in place, the need for me to have pre-done is lower, mm. but I just want to emphasize those behavioral-based sequences. If all you did, for example, is have a couple of those initial emails plus – ongoing newsletter Mm. plus behavioral based nine word email on people who go to a certain page and don't buy. If you didn't have all of those in place right now, that would be a killer combo to get your million dollar emails. But if you're a big B2B enterprise and you don't have anything in place, Mm. of course you're going to get someone like Will to come in and help you put together those seven emails because straight out of the gate, you're going to be warming up cold leads into warmer leads and then asking them to buy and they may or they may not but at least you'll learn and adjust and tune yeah it's it's just context it's just context and and nuance and every business is different um some of my clients are actually really great at content so we like very similar to what you do we don't actually have a lot of nurture because um not not a lot of automation because they're just pumping out great content but you know, I'd say about 75% of my clients don't either have the time or expertise in terms of the content they're producing. So the automation kind of helps take the stress off that just until they're ready and they've built the content machine. Cause it is a, you know, we're trying to do it in our own business. It's a, it's a massive effort to get right. 
and it's like a flywheel. You've got to really push it and get things working before it takes over and does, does its own thing. But initially, it's, there's a lot of work involved. Well, if we could only have one, I'd go for the automation first and then I'd build content on top. Mm, yeah. I mean, and you don't, like the thing is we don't have to have one. You can have the best of everything, but it just takes time. Well, they, well, of course they work beautifully together. Yeah. I mean, I've got combos of automation and I've got combos of pre-done emails, but then I have the content feeding it, like putting oxygen into it. So mm. both of them require effort, but having those seven emails written and put into the machine it's leverage. Mm. And then you can feed it with the content. If you go down the content path, you'll forever have to put new energy into it and then it fades. Yeah. And if you've already been doing content and you don't have the seven emails, I'd encourage you to look back through your broadcast stats mm. and see which emails got good engagement or which ones are case studies because those ones would be good candidates to put back into the machine. Exactly. So, Will, what are final thoughts? Yeah, so, so final thoughts. If you're going to be doing lead generation, it's kind of – you know, a game of two halves. One is getting people onto your email list, into your database. Secondly is what you're going to do with it, right? How do you get the phone calls? How do you get the results? So I pay just as much attention to the second bid as the first bid. And there's no point in running the first bid and getting leads if you don't have the system to handle them. So you've got to make sure that both are kind of working well together, but it doesn't have to be a massive effort. You can build you know, a solid foundation in a very quick matter of time, but you just need the foundation first and then you can build on top. Love it. Um, so give us a working example. Have you got something you can give away from this episode <laughs> uh, so they can see what you're sending them? Absolutely. So there's a couple of things that, you know, if anyone's listening to this going, hey, I want more leads, I want more more, more B2B uh, clients. Absolutely. There's two things we can give away. One is, um, as I mentioned, the full video walkthrough of the entire process from cold to gold, we call it, right? From a cold lead who hasn't heard of us to someone ready to do business with us. So I've got a 12-minute walkthrough of the entire process and I have to share with people. Um, the second part is we're also putting everything that we do into a template. So if you want nurture email templates or a checklist of here's the seven emails that we send, here's the seven things we address in each email, and that'll be available as well. Best way to get it is just to shoot me an email to will at growthlabs.com uh, with a Z and then I can just forward those uh, documents through to you. Love it. So this is episode 1046. We'll put links up to that and you want the templates or the walkthrough, Will's kindly offered that. Will at growthlabs with a Z dot com and ask him for those templates. So just say you're listening to the episode on uh, Shramco's podcast. It's usually what they say, isn't it? And uh, yeah. thank you so much for sharing. And it's good to compare notes and to, to see what different ways are there to approach it. But one thing is clear. Email is still at this year in 2023, it's still just critical. A, a good email database is, is gold in the bank. If you look after your email, if you have integrity, if your products and services are great, you're going to go great with uh, building an email database and, and asking people to buy and helping them buy. And uh, there's so much you can do with it. I love it. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you again so much for having me back on, James. I uh, hope everybody listening got a whole bunch of value from this one. Awesome. This is James Schramko. 